Welcome back, everybody, to the Drink and Learn podcast. I'm drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Robert Simonson, um, author and, um, I guess, all-around fan of, uh, of drinking and good drinks. Uh, Robert is the author of The Old Fashioned, which is our... Um, one of the books the Drink and Learn Book Club has been reading, and he has graciously agreed to um, uh, meet with me today and talk a little bit about um, his book and the old fashioned in general. So, Robert, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, so, can you tell me um, what inspired you to to write uh, this book about the old fashioned? Well, uh, as all reporters do, I keep my ear to the ground at all times, and I've been a drinks reporter since uh, 2006, and so I'm always looking for trends, possible stories, and around 2009, I started to notice that uh, more people were drinking old fashions, um, and that was kind of unusual because uh, at that point, an old-fashioned, while still a very popular and famous drink, was thought of as like uh, an older person's drink, something your mother or father or grandparents would drink. It wasn't something that young people were drinking. But that had changed. Uh, it was being served at all the trendy uh, modern uh, cocktail bars, and it was being ordered by uh, young people in great numbers. And so I thought, well, something must be up. And I did a little research, or indeed uh, the, the old-fashioned was back. It was newly popular. So I wrote an article or two, but then I realized that perhaps the whole topic uh, required um, a complete book because, strange as it may seem, even though the old-fashioned is about 200 years old, there has never been a book about the drink. Um, well, it was long overdue. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, when you noticed people were ordering old fashions, what did that drink look like? The drinks that were being ordered... They were served in the typical kind of old-fashioned glass, um, and they were very simple. Um, it was just the whiskey with a little bitters and a little sugar and a, an orange twist or a lemon twist or an orange and the lemon twist, which were called rabbit ears, and uh, served over one big rock, one big uh, ice cube, because at the same time, craft uh, ice was coming to the fore and becoming popular. So it didn't look like the old fashions that at least I had grown up, the kind mm -hmm. that were muddled with an orange and a cherry and had some soda water or soda pop on top. And, you know, it basically looked like a little um, glass of fruit punch. It didn't look anything like that. It looked like a glass of whiskey with a twist. So it was much more pristine, much more um, uh, elemental. And um, and so that drink actually is, um, as, as you discovered and as you talk about, and as I'm going to have you talk about, uh, is the was sort of the original old fashioned. Um, can, yes, that's right. So can you um, uh, tell us a little bit about um, the this version of the old fashioned it's, and its origins in the whiskey cocktail? Yeah, see, so what had happened is all these young bartenders back there in the aughts, they had finally cracked the code of the old-fashioned and figured out what it used to be and why it became popular in the first place. And the original old-fashioned wasn't the muddled cocktail that uh, their parents drank. 
it was a simple whiskey cocktail. In fact, its full name was the Old Fashioned Whiskey Cocktail. Um, uh, the drinks started out in the early 1800s as uh, those those ingredients. It, it followed the template of the cocktail, which is spirits, water, bitter, sugar. And um, it was just served simply. It was, uh, you know, uh, thrown back and forth over ice. And then it was served up in a wine glass and you drank it quickly. It was it was known as a morning drink, kind of an eye opener. And then around in the 1870s and 1880s, when bartenders started getting a little fancy with it um, and started adding things like uh, chartreuse and curacao, um, people started demanding an old fashioned whiskey cocktail the way it used to be served. And then that meant that that same drink, you know, with those four ingredients, but it was slightly different. It was no longer served up. It was served on the rocks and it was no longer served in a wine glass. It was served in a rocks glass and um, and it had a, a twist and it was usually served with a little tiny metal spoon. Um, so that's that's the old fashioned that the new bartenders were looking towards that kind of 1880s, 1890s model. Uh, I and I love a quote that you included when you you mentioned that it was a morning drink, uh, um, or matutinal is the matutinal uh, yes. cocktail. That um, and this is for everyone who is um, uh, perhaps having to uh, spruce up if you have a, a, maybe a, a Zoom meeting that you need to look good at least uh, from the from the neck up. A bourbon whiskey cocktail before breakfast is the best thing for complexion. So um, I guess no need for um, a fancy cucumber mask peel or some sort of exfoliating uh, thing. Yeah, you can no. just, uh, just knock A whiskey knock cocktail. <laughs> I, I, I remember that quote. I, I think that was just like the reporter trying to talk himself into an idea, that it was a good idea. And, of course, we're only talking about men in bars back then. Yes. Um, so that I'm, I'm sure they, they made themselves believe that, you know, this was good for the complexion. Oh, and the other thing I, I wanted to ask you um, – uh, how did you, where did you uh, find that the uh, whiskey cocktail was batched and served during the Civil War? Oh, um, I, I found a lot of these in old newspapers. There are a lot of newspaper databases these days. You find them online. And so I would, you know, just type in uh, whiskey cocktail uh, with an E or not an E, uh, old fashioned whiskey cocktail, old fashioned whiskey, just all kinds of combinations of words. And um, the Civil War wasn't necessarily a time. I mean, the whiskey mm -hmm. cocktail was popular, but it wasn't like the most popular drink. Still, it was popular enough that somebody was batching them up and putting them in barrels and sending them to the troops, the, the Union troops. Um, I'm not sure, you know. It wasn't necessarily a southern drink at that point. I'm wondering if its efficacy, if they, you know, if they won the battle or if their senses were dulled and they lost, if there was any. Ah, uh, well, you know, <laughs> a little liquor gives you some Dutch courage, and you can like run into the battle. Right. Uh, so, uh, so you got us through the whiskey cocktail, and uh, and reminded us what any of us who are friends with bartenders know which is that bartenders can't help but use ingredients that are around them to, um, to, to doctor up or add to or um, fiddle with uh, drinks that they already have. So you have the, this original whiskey cocktail, but now um, 
it has has maybe some uh, absinthe or some maraschino or a little drop of this or a dash of that. And yes. little by little, this uh, this whiskey cocktail ceases to become one thing, and it it it, it could become anything. And you have uh, a lot of grumpy folks who um, who who want to go back to the old fashioned way of uh, of making this drink. Um, and and you mentioned the spoon. Um, yes, uh, the cocktail spoon, which is something that's been completely forgotten. Uh, Every recipe that I found in the old cocktail books from the 1880s to the 1920s um, said served with spoon and glass. And that really confused me at the beginning. I didn't know what they were talking about. It says, what do they mean they're served with spoon and glass? Well, then I realized that there was such a thing as an old-fashioned spoon. It was a tiny little spoon, you know, about four inches long that kind of looked like a, a miniature bar spoon that you stir drinks with and uh that's how you served it you served it in the glass and it had the little spoon in and uh i guess it served various purposes you could stir the glass you could stir the drink you know dilute it a little bit more if you wanted to make it colder also you could use it to like scoop up the sugar at the bottom of the glass because back then all the old fashions were made with raw sugar not with simple syrup and uh, people got in the habit of just like taking these things home or absentmindedly sticking them <laughs> in their pocket. Um, but after prohibition, that was gone. I, I think it just wasn't cost effective anymore. I, I, I'm guessing before prohibition, you could get like a thousand of these little spoons for nothing at a bar. And, you know, so you could risk, you know, losing them. But after prohibition, Maybe they were cause, costing you like a dollar a piece and, you, and you know, it was no longer. And remember, uh, quickly, that was like the depression. Right. So so bars couldn't afford any unnecessary expenditure. So the, the old-fashioned spoon went away. Yeah, yeah you, you uh, mentioned that you have a description of, of men um, walking around with these spoons sticking out of their breast pocket. Um, yeah. So you, like a boutonniere. Um, yeah, sort of like when you go home and then like a few weeks after you've been to a restaurant, you are rummaging through your pockets of something you wore then and you have like a matchbook mm -hmm. or you have like a calling card or, or something like that. It was the same thing with the old fashioned spoons. And you have you have old fashioned spoons, don't you? you yeah, I do. I At this point, I have a couple dozen. Uh, the first ones were hard to find, but. If you know how to look on eBay, you can find them fairly easily at this point. Do you know, um, I know Cocktail Kingdom and um, other um, barware companies like that are um, uh, are usually a good source for the slightly arcane piece of um, bar gear. Do you know yes. anybody who's making uh, old-fashioned spoons now? Yeah, Cocktail Kingdom is, and they're making them because I told them to. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was after the old fashioned fashion book came out, uh, a couple years after. Um, I noticed that most of the old fashioned glasses that were that existed and you could be bought in stores were basically double old fashioned glasses. They were mm -hmm. much bigger. Um, and uh, the, the old fashioned glass used to be quite a small glass. It held three or four ounces. And, and, and nobody made those anymore, and I thought that was a shame. So I went to Greg Baum over at uh, the owner of Cocktail Kingdom and said, would you be interested in collaborating with me and producing an, an old, a proper old-fashioned glass? 
And we came up with this idea of an old-fashioned kit, which you can still buy over there. Mm -hmm. It comes with two old-fashioned glasses, which are small, and they have these heavy bottoms. And it comes with a tiny little muddler because uh, the old-fashioned used to be made in the glass, and so the sugar at the bottom was muddled. And it comes with an old-fashioned spoon to put in the glass once you're done. So it's got a whole set. As far as I know, Cocktail Kingdom is the only person producing old-fashioned spoons at this point. Well, I'll be sure and uh, put a link in the show notes for anybody who wants to um, to have the the complete set. Um, the uh, the muddlers seem to be as um, important a part of the old-fashioned story as the spoon at that time. You mentioned um, that leading up to Prohibition, they were described by the uh, the folks in the temperance movement as um, something about like if uh, the amount of of trees that would be saved. Yeah, from... yeah, the, because because they no longer needed muddlers for old fashions <laughs> because of prohibition. Like whole groves of trees would be spared <laughs> that would have been chopped up into muddlers. Right now, uh, all those the the emails that say you know. Consider, uh, please consider uh, not printing this, you know, to save the trees. We can uh, reframe it as for all the bartenders to um, yeah. Save, yeah, the, they, save the trees. We think, of, we think of muddlers as fairly large, you know, they're about six or eight inches long. And, and we think of them as being mainly used for things like mint juleps and mojitos and such like that. But back then, um, you, there were muddlers that were much smaller. Uh, that could fit inside a small old-fashioned glass, and they were specifically used to muddle up that sugar with the bitters and water. And you mentioned it, building it in the glass, and and that um, sometimes the the customer got to pour the whiskey. Yeah, I have this theory that the old-fashioned was popular uh, with a certain kind of person because it uh, it was a democratic drink and it encouraged independence. Uh, just like with the martini, when you order one, you get to say what kind of you gin or vodka, olives or twist. You know, you can specify all kinds of things and have the drink your way. The old fashioned used to be like that, too, I think. Um, you got to see the bartender make it in front of you in, in the glass that you were going to drink it out of. So mm -hmm. there was no chance of adulteration of that drink. That was going to be an honest drink. And... Usually you got the glass and then they just put the whiskey next to it and they just trusted you that you were going to pour in, you know, the correct dosage, you know, a couple ounces into your drink. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's, uh, I don't know. I think that had an appeal to a certain kind of old fashioned kind of drinker, quite frankly. <laughs> yes. You, um, you, you reference, um, you, you, there is an old-fashioned drinker who you, whom you quote, um, Leander Richardson, um, yeah. a journalist, novelist, and playwright, who mm -hmm. I think uh, gives a really um, good sense of that kind of person who, is, who has gotten so fed up with, um, uh, he says, the, uh, re regarding the old-fashioned and the regular line of drinks coming under this name, every bartender seems to establish have established his own private brand so that people who are in the habit of wetting their appetites 
by the use of the friendly cocktail, never know beforehand what they are going to take into their stomachs as they pass from bar to bar. Um, the old-fashioned, on the contrary, is nearly everywhere recognized as being made with a little sugar, a little bitters, a lump of ice, a piece of twisted lemon peel, and a good deal of whiskey. It has no absinthe, no chartreuse, and no mm-hmm. other flavoring extract injected to it. And if not poured yes. in too heavily upon an empty, empty stomach, it is anything but unwholesome. Yes. The yeah, I think honest... Leander, he, he kind of he captured the attitude very well. Yes. Um, and um, it seems that once the, the, these uh, uh, components all kind of come together, that in your quest to sort of see where does the old fashioned really like find its feet or its bearing, um, there seems to be, well, as a New Orleanian, I do have to uh, speak up for Lafcadio Hearn, who was... Um, an author uh, here and um, in the late 1800s published uh, the Creole cookbook. And there is a recipe for, um, even though it's not called an old fashioned, it is essentially all of these elements uh, together. Um, and, and a variant on it is the spoon cocktail, which, mm-hmm. you know, is sort of the spoon, but it, it uh, other than that little, uh, little moment of New Orleans, it seems that Chicago played a really key role in the development of the old fashioned. Um, and I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about uh, Theodore Prue. Is it Prue? Just pe- like the pronunciation yeah, Prue. Yeah. Yeah. And Shaken yeah, and Gore you... and, uh, and, and yeah, Chicago and the old fashioned. Yeah. Um, as with most cocktails, uh, you really don't know, um, where it was invented or who invented it. Um, and that's true with the old fashioned, uh, particularly since it started out as the whiskey cocktail. And, you know, it's as simple as a cocktail can be. But um, it seems clear that it was a favorite cocktail of Chicago. Um, Chicago was a hard drinking town. Uh, they liked their whiskey and they had a steady supply of it as they were not far from, um, from Kentucky. And, you know, and Illinois produced its own share of whiskey. Um, And another connection there is the uh, bartender book by a uh, French Canadian bartender named Theodore Prue, uh, who published his own self-published his own book in 1888. He worked at a a very famous Chicago saloon called Chapin and Gore. And uh, in that book, which is called the Bartender's Manual, is the first printed uh, recipe for an old-fashioned whiskey cocktail under that name. Mm-hmm. And so he's from Chicago, and um, there are a number of other things that point in the direction that if Chicago didn't necessarily invent this drink, it, it, it had some sort of ownership and definitely a love for this drink. Yeah, I, I, I actually you know, could write a whole book about Chapin and Gore. It was one of these places. Th- there wasn't just one bar. There was like a chain of six of them. And there were these grand saloons with high ceilings and wonderful dark woodwork mm-hmm. and bartenders who really knew their stuff. So the, we have the first uh, old-fashioned recipe. And it seems that um, this version, um, which is what you end up seeing what you what you ended up seeing that inspired you to write the 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 book the the uh simple um muddled sugar whiskey big rock 
lemon uh, twist, maybe orange, um, something really simple is what the old fashioned is. And, and the it's the drink that's making um, Mr. Um, uh, Mr. Leander Richardson so happy and and there's the drink so how did it get all the fruit in it how did we end up uh, moving to this um, mushed up cherry and orange that frankly is the drink that I knew growing up that sounds like you knew uh, for for so long that the drink my mother drank and frankly the drink my mother still drinks um, how did we get from this very simple, um, uh, kind of elegant drink to something a little more fruity? Well, that's the central mystery of the old fashioned. Um, when you talk about the old fashioned, you're basically talking about two drinks that are quite different from one another. There's the simple one that's basically whiskey in a glass with a few accents. And then there's the fruited version, the muddled version. And uh, that's the one that still today is is the most common. But they, they don't really look much like each other other than that they have whiskey and Angostura bitters in them. Um, so there are two going theories, but none of them are provable. Neither of them are provable, I should say. Uh, one is that during Prohibition, there was such poor quality spirits, poor quality whiskey, um, that they put the fruit in there to mask the bad flavor of the alcohol. And the other one is that during Prohibition, a lot of, a lot of knowledge was forgotten. Uh, the bartenders had retired and people forgot how to make cocktails correctly or, or, or how to differentiate one from another. And so it got confused with another drink, uh, the toddy, which was a much more fruity drink with more fruit in it. So uh, one way or another, it, it all got mixed up. And by the time we got on the other side of Prohibition in 1934, um, it didn't look the same. And all the bars were serving old fashions. They hadn't forgotten that there was this famous drink called the old fashioned that everyone loved, but they were serving it with fruit. At first, the orange and the cherry were on top as an accent. And then slowly but surely over the years, they fell to the bottom and they mm -hmm. got muddled. And and even where well, they get muddled at the bottom and then put on top as well. Um, and 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 that's the way it came to be known. And and the old folks, you know, the the old people who drank the old fashions before prohibition, they complained, you know, and there are articles about that, that, you know, the bartenders don't know how to make a real old fashioned anymore. And the old fashioned drinkers seem to always be complaining. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, uh, so we know that people noticed it had changed. But the change was seemingly permanent until about like 2009, 2010, until people started making it the old way again. Do you have a, um, a favorite in that in the among the theories that you think is uh, stronger I, than the other? It really is. Neither of those theories convince me. Mm -hmm. um, they, ju they just don't pass the test. It's not a good enough um it's not a good enough theory I, if i had to choose when i choose the one about the bad alcohol um and then you put the fruit in there to make it taste better but it's it's strange it really is a mystery i, I tried the best i could to get to the bottom of it i don't feel bad that i didn't because in the years since i published the book nobody else has gotten to the bottom of it either it's mm -hmm. like it's just it's just one of those things that we don't really understand 
Um, well, I think it it is worth um, noting what you chart, which is like the journey of the fruit, <laughs> that it started on top first, um, and then eventually gets its way, you know, like falls to the bottom of the glass and and, and yeah. gets muddled. I, I thought that it was interesting that you, you noted that someone um, muddled it in, in the 30s, but that, that didn't really become the consistent um, behavior until well into the, you know, like the 50s and 60s. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. So I, there, there's another theory we could entertain. I just thought of this. Um, you can never discount the influence of uh, salesmen in the history of cocktails. Yeah. If, if somebody gives, because people are always walking into bars and trying to make a deal with the bar owner, like, if you carry my product and do this, I'll do this for you. Like, I'll give you a television set, or I'll give you a, I'll give you a neon sign, or I'll, yeah. I'll give you a lot of money under the table. Mm -hmm. So I know there was evidence in the 30s of the pineapple industry trying to get a foothold in the drink industry. And you do suddenly see a bunch of recipes for old fashions that call for a pineapple garnish. Mm. So it could be after prohibition ended, all the orange and cherry and fruit salesmen charged into the bars and said, you should be making your old fashioned this way. I mean, that's a uh, that's a definite possibility. Um, and that would also once you have uh, to put a fruit salad in your glass, you definitely need a bigger glass. Um, and that's yeah, that was the end of the single old fashioned glass. And we quickly moved to the double old fashioned glass. Definitely. Right. So in the meantime, back in Wisconsin, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's there's a completely different uh, old fashioned that's showing up. Although I think the uh, the common theme among them all is garnish. Um, how is the old fashioned uh, Wisconsin old fashioned? Um, Wisconsin different? old fashioned is made with brandy, and it's been made with domestic brandy out of California for. Oh, I don't know. Uh, close to 100 years, definitely since Prohibition. Uh, there's not much evidence they were doing it before Prohibition. Uh, and there are theories for this as well. Um, some people think that all the Wisconsinites went down to the Chicago World's Fair in uh, the 1890s, uh, where Corbell was introducing its new brandy, and they all liked it, and they brought it back home. And they started putting in. Some people just think that uh, because Wisconsin had this heavy um, German-American and Polish-American population, that they brought their tastes with them, and their tastes included uh, brandy. A lot of Germans made brandy at home. Mm -hmm. um, so those are two of the theories. Uh, we definitely know that um, by the 50s and the 60s, the California brandy industry knew which side of the bread was their bread was buttered on because they advertised heavily in Wisconsin newspapers um, that you should be using their brandy and your old fashions and your Manhattans mm -hmm. if you lived in Wisconsin or other parts of the Midwest, you know, parts of Minnesota, parts of Illinois and upper Michigan. Um, so they knew that they had a market there. Um, so again, how it started is a bit mysterious. Not quite clear on that, but uh, it's definitely been that way for a long time. And um, you can get two different kinds of brandy old fashions. 
the sweet and the what's the other kind oh you can get three you can get many kinds okay Um, yeah so if it's sort of like ordering a martini there because you have to specify many things uh but when you order your drink so there there are three basic types there's sweet sour and press if you order for a sweet old brandy old-fashioned they will top it with a little seven up or sprite Mm -hmm. if you order for a sour they will top it with uh, like a grapefruit soda, like um, squirt. And if you do press, that means half 7-Up and half uh, seltzer from the gun. And then you get into the whole garnish thing because right. you'll be asked what you want. And you can order a, the typical orange and cherry, but you can also get an olive and you can get a pickled mushroom and you can get a pickled Brussels sprout. Um, have you had all of these iterations? Yes, because I am a scholar and I have to do this. I have to drink all the variations. It's my job. And so uh, I have ordered all of them. I am never going to order the pickled mushroom or pickled Brussels sprout again. It's terrible. It tastes awful. Um, I think Wisconsinites like that kind of stuff because... A couple reasons. It's a cold climate. People pickle things in, mm-hmm. in Wisconsin to, to get through the winters, so you have those things on hand. Uh-huh. They're all, it's also a frugal population. So if you can get a little extra with your drink, like if your drink comes with a little snack, you're going to go for that. Okay. All right. Um, like a, It's like peanuts. but. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Or like, you know... I don't know. But uh, yeah, you definitely want as much as you can get with your drink. Um, what in the cocktail uh, community now? And I, I know that um, that's that's a big group of a uh, big group of folks. And it's not necessarily fair to um, to lump all of them into one, <laughs> you know, lots of opinions and, and whatnot. But what is the attitude toward the um, muddled fruit old-fashioned versus the, um, what, we, what I guess we can call the original? Um, I, with, with every drink, I think the mixology community goes through several phases. Um, first, they are purists, and they want it done the way it was done. There's a proper way to make the drink. And then there's the wrong way that, you know, people have been making for years. And that so they do that for a while. And then they get accused of being pretentious and snobbish. And they thought, well, we don't want to be thought of as pretentious and snobbish. And so then they kind of like swing back and they say, you know, whatever you want to drink, that's fine. And some of them will even do a 180 and say they're going to drink like the muddled version of the old fashioned, you know, because like this was good for my grandparents. It's good enough for me. And, you know, and and I'm not going to judge it at all. Mm -hmm. And so they they always go from elitist to anti-elitist on every cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then they usually swing back to elitist at some point. Uh, they sort of want to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, you um there's a you explore this a little bit um of rec- uh, reconciling the contradictory nature of bartenders who are both purists who um 
have, as you, you quote, an, uh, they are uncompromising in their definition of an old-fashioned. But then, the, as far as they eating their cake, too, they also see it as, quote, a piece of sturdy architecture on which to hang alternative interpretations of the classic. So even if they poo-poo the, um, the we'll just call it the fruit salad, version um it seems like they can't help themselves and they have all of these um riffs and interpretations um on the old-fashioned many of which you have recipes for (laughs) in the back of your book and so um i guess i'm kind of curious when does an old-fashioned cease to be an old-fashioned well so there are two schools of thought on this um one school of thought is an old-fashioned is that classic definition um, of the cocktail with the spirit and uh, bitters and water and sugar. Uh, but then there's another, which is equally supported by history, that the old-fashioned is not a specific recipe. It's a template uh, upon which you can impose anything, um, as long as it fits that basic model. Uh, in the late 19th century, you could go to most bars and you mostly you'd get a whiskey old fashioned, but you could order a rum old fashioned Mm -hmm. and an apple Jack old fashioned and a gin old fashioned and a Geneva old fashioned. They would make you any kind of old fashioned. And it was always the same model, just a different spirit. Um, And so when, when in the last decade, people did a lot of old fashioned riffs and there have been thousands of old fashioned riffs, it's just going back to what was happening a century ago. You know, it's like it's a very malleable drink and um, it's it's a blueprint to work from. So I think it can be I think we can hold the both of these ideas in our head at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, when all of us think of an old fashioned, we, we we're going to think of one drink first. We're going to think of that whiskey drink. And but then we think, well, we can do a lot with that model. There are a lot of variations and we know an old fashioned variation when we see it. Do you have a favorite old fashioned? Um, I just drink the basic kind. Either uh, the main choice for me is bourbon or rye, um, but uh, I just like it simple with the twist and the big ice cube. Um, I have nothing against the riffs, and if I go to bars, I will try their riffs. But um, there's no reason for me to make a riff at home. Um, those are usually a little more complex. Often they have obscure bitters in them, or they have a, a special syrup or some spirit that you might not have on your shelf. So, you know, I'll, t- I'll drink those in the bar and, but at home, it's almost always, um, whiskey. Sometimes if I'm in an odd mood, I'll do an apple, uh, brandy one. I'll do, a a rum. Mm-hmm. And when I, whenever I visit Wisconsin, which is my home state, which is often, I always order brandy old fashions because, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Um, so, but, uh, we're, typically, we're... Where uh, in Wisconsin are you from? I was born in Milwaukee, and then I was raised in a farm community called Eagle. Um, I went to Milwaukee several years ago because um, a good friend of of mine and my husband, Lee's, uh, for a while he was the co-radio announcer for the Brewers, um, working with Bob Euchre. 
Um, so <laughs> that was obviously a dream job for him. And uh, Lee is a huge baseball fan. So we went up and visited with Joe and his wife and also, of course, went to uh, many uh, baseball games. But um, it's where I learned the overlap between at least Milwaukee, I, I can't speak for all of Wisconsin, um, and Southern Louisiana. Would you like to know what it is? <laughs> where we overlap, where our Venn diagram is? We like to oh. um, drink outside, weather permitting, while eating cured smoked meats and dancing to the sounds of the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the accordion music is very different in yes. both places. Um, but it was actually the Germans that settled in um, southern Louisiana in the late 19th century who brought the accordion. That's how the accordion got introduced to Cajun music. Is that right? Yeah. It's also why um, the Germans who settled in Texas introduced the accordion to... That's why that is part of the Norteño, um, that um, particular... Me uh, northern Mexican um, music, um, they got the accordion from the Germans. Oh, well, the Germans brought a lot of nice things to this yeah, country. Sausage and sausage and accordions. In and, beer. In, in, and beer in particular, yeah. Um, so I, I, I was, I, when I was asking you about your favorite old fashioned, I was thinking about, um, I, there were almost none of the riffs in the back that I felt able to make um, because they, I, and when I, when I make drinks at home, I tend to uh, stick with pretty simple stuff. Um, and there, there were a lot of unusual bitters or syrups and such. Um, but yes. several of the folks in the drink and learn revelers um, did did try a few versions um, and someone made oh, the gin, good. the gin one um, because and this was obviously we were all hampered by um, COVID and uh, access to, you know, particular products. But um, he said the gin one was really good. So I might have to try that. Oh, is that the one with Geneva? Uh, the Geneva yes. old fashioned. And, and I think it has elderflower in it too. Oh, um, oh well, then, no, no, I have then, to, no that's the elder old, that's the elder fashioned by Phil Ward. Geneva yes. is, makes a very good old fashioned. Um, right, because it's sweeter, huh? Right? Yeah, because uh, even though it's known as like Dutch gin, uh, really it's kind of has a, a malty beverage. So it's closer in character to whiskey than London dry gin. Mm -hmm. So it lends itself to that thing. And also, it's a, a good old-fashioned if you want to do one of those improved old-fashions that the bartenders were doing in the 1870s. Mm -hmm. If you add a little touch, a little dash of absinthe, a little dash of maraschino in there, it's very good. Yes, I bet it would be. Um, yeah. You dedicated the uh, this book to your mother, a, a fan of the old-fashioned. What did, what did yes. she think about it? She, oh, she thought it was great. My mother loved attention. And so, I mean, <laughs> I, dedic I dedicated a book to her. She was over the moon. She showed it to all her friends. Oh, well, that's good. Um, it's always good when you can uh, make your mom happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thanks so much, Robert, for taking time to chat a little bit about the old fashioned. Um, for folks who want to read um, 
read more of Robert's writing, you can find his column in the New York Times every is it Wednesday, every Wednesday. Well, the articles appear on Wednesday. It's not every Wednesday, but Wednesday is when you'd find them. Yes. And you have another book that is either out or coming out on the martini? Yes. It's it's kind of um, a a companion to the old-fashioned book. It's about the martini, and it's the same format. It's the history of the drink and then recipes and variations. It came out last September, and that one was dedicated to my father. So they both got books dedicated to him. Oh, right. It has to be because you have to if, – if you, if you have a Mother's Day, you have a Father's Day. And if you have a – Yeah, uh, well, right. you know, my, my fate was preordained, it seemed, because uh, growing up at cocktail hour, my father drank a mar- martini and my mother drank an old-fashioned. So it's no wonder that I wrote about these two, these two drinks. Right, Um nurture and uh, nature <laughs> all, yes, all together. Right. Um, well, uh, again, thank you for uh, taking time to chat with us. And um, folks, if you have any questions um, for me or Abigail for future episodes, don't forget that you can um, send them to uh, cheers at drink and learn, or you can uh, message us through Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, all, all the ways. You can um, find out more um, of what's happening with Drink and Learn at the Drink and Learn Revelers page on Facebook. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please uh, tell anyone and everyone, um, rate us and review us on uh, wherever you can rate us and review us, uh, Apple and lots of other places. And uh, in the meantime, uh, drink well and cheers, y'all. Cheers.